Anyway, let's go to uh, text messages. We have somebody texted through. Okay, we've got one text message here this morning. Oh, just quickly, just quickly. It's not Second Thessalonians or Galatians either. Oh, okay. Wow, we've got just guesses coming through left, mm-hmm, right, and mm-hmm. center right now as uh, that clue is going out. Yes. All right. So uh, in relationship to the story about Mindy, the question, and by the way, Mindy is a made-up name to protect the... Uh, yeah, 100%. You know, yeah. The, you know, we're yeah, dealing with a ten-year-old, ten-year-old yeah. girl here. The question is: Who gave this type of power to the social worker, who trained this person to do such things? And so, this is an example, but it's an example that is happening thousands and thousands. You know, you look at um, the issue of teen girls transitioning has gone up in the last ten years by four thousand four hundred percent. That's not a reflection of the reality of society. That's the reflection of a social contagion. Mm. And this was an example of it. And the person here is asking the question, who trained the social workers or who is training the social workers who are demanding this of our children? Because it's interesting to me, right? Like Who are like, grooming our children. When I listen to this, I'm like, dude, social workers who are school counsellors, like social work is like a two-year degree, and then they become school counsellors, which aren't, they're not even practising psychologists. Like they're not psychiatrists, they're not therapists, they're not anything. They're, they're like, this is like the lowest bar of entry to become someone who can help people, which is like, like, I think it's a great thing, though. Like, social work in general, like, you know, I've... Yeah, but I think you're raising a valid point, and that is if if your child is diagnosed with something that is going to be so life-altering, mm. surely you would want to take them to a psychologist or this a psychiatrist first. How can they even you know, somebody with diagnose a them? Some with a higher level of qualifications. Like, social, a social work degree or some, like, again, it's a two-year degree. Like, I'm, I don't even know how they have the power to diagnose people. Well, they, yeah. I, like, like this, I, is, this is my point, yeah. I'm just like, this is ridiculous. Like, how... My, my point I, is... Because uh, the text message raised the question, like, who gave them the power? My point is, how do they have so much power without going to a specialist? Yes. You know, for most other things... You know, if you're if your local GP and your and your local GP being a GP, that's a specialty in and of itself. But if they diagnose you and send you for you know open heart surgery, you're just going to you know rock up and have open heart surgery without first consulting with a specialist. No, they refer you to a specialist. That's right. But even like, but why is that not the case? Yeah, with this social contagion right here, and, and it's like psychology, like to be a practicing psychologist, it's one of the most competitive degrees out there. It's tough degree because you get a four year bachelor, but to be a practicing psychologist, you have to get a master's, yes. which the master's program is based on your performance in your bachelor's. Like it's a com- competition thing because you have to work with another psychologist. So if to be even become a psychologist, you have, and I think they do it on purpose this way to to weed out people that aren't legit. Yes. Like, because you have to be worth your salt. You have to have a thorough understanding of, of the science and of the medical field and of also the weight of the decisions that you're making and that you're diagnosed because you have the ability to give people medication, all these different things. And now we are transitioning children who self-diagnose, mm. right? This is not a diagnosis even from a social worker. We, we are transitioning children who self-diagnose without permission from a counsellor, without permission from a psychiatrist, without mm. permission from a parent, and without even telling parents. Yeah. That's Yikes. the reality of what is happening Yikes. in our world right now. 
Yeah. It is terrifying. And as parents, we need to become parents. Okay, uh, where did we go? We were, um, so, so the person here is asking, you know, uh, who trained this person to do such things? Can you imagine uh, these people actually going to these demonic classes on how to destroy children's lives? The root cause has to be destroyed, and that is the heads of the education system that actually are the perpetrators of this suffering to the children and the families. God save us. He is giving them enough rope to hand themselves or see the immensity of their sins. And, you know, particularly amongst teen girls, we've got all kinds of things that happen amongst teen girls. You've got, you've got eating disorders. Well, that was a social contagion for a long time. This is just the latest mm. fad. Mm. And it does a tremendous disservice to people who are actually struggling with gender dysphoria mm. because they get lost in the system. While everybody else is celebrated, they are the ones who are lost in the system and they are the ones who are truly losing out. Mm. And they are the ones who need our sympathy and who need our care. All right, let's go to uh, Matthew chapter 10 and verse 34. Matthew chapter 10 and verse 34. Okay, let's read what the Bible says right here. Before we read this one, actually, uh, let's talk about the fifth commandment. Yes. Honor your finish off for me, uh, father and your mother, that your land may be that your days may be long upon the land of which they have given you. That's 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 near enough. It's pretty much it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so we're going to read the opposite of that. Okay, and we're going to ask, why does the Bible contradict itself? Hmm. Oh, I think I know what we're about to read. Uh, it's uh, a really hectic verse right mm-hmm. here. So where are we going? Matthew chapter 10. And we're going to read... Well, actually, here's another point. Before we read this verse, before we read this verse, mm-hmm. uh, Jesus, is Jesus an instigator of unity or disunity? Unity. Division or not division? Not division. Not division. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so Jesus says, honor your father and mother. Jesus says that he's bringing unity. Mm-hmm. Is, he a, is he a person of peace or war? Uh, of peace. Of peace. Mm-hmm. Okay, so he's going to bring unity. He's going to bring honor to parents. He's going to bring peace. Are you sure about all of these things? You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. In fact, maybe we should confirm this uh, before we before we actually read this passage, just to make sure that we've got it right. Let's go to Isaiah chapter nine and verse six. Hold your finger there. Go to Isaiah chapter nine and verse six, and let's see what the Bible says. Well, I think like inside of the context of the Gospels and the account of Jesus' life on Earth, that's definitely what he was. Yes, I think it changes a little bit as we you know move down through time, and particularly when you read the Book of Revelation. It's like, you know, I come with a sword and whatnot. Anyways, uh, Isaiah chapter uh, but we're 9. We're talking about the Gospels here. We're talking about the Gospels. Yeah, so Isaiah chapter 9, 9 verse, 6. verse 6, the Bible says, For a child is born to us, a son given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Okay, so is Jesus a God of peace or a God of conflict? Peace. He's the Prince of Peace. He's the Prince of Peace. Mm-hmm. Uh, does Jesus say, blessed are the warmongers or the peacemakers? The peacemakers. Jesus says all of these things. Mm. Jesus says, honor your father and your mother. Mm. You know, the list goes on and on and on that Jesus has come to bring unity and Jesus has come to bring peace. Mm. Yet when we talk about issues like the issue that we've been talking about here this morning on transgenderism, 
we are often accused of being unchristlike. Mm. And it's kind of like, well, if you're going to talk about those kinds of issues and you're not going to support, you know, the general agenda, the 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 the, the direction that society is going right now, then that's because you're transphobic or you hate trans people or any of these kind of things. It was the biggest load of rubbish ever. Mm. But people will accuse you of all of those things. And yet the Bible says that you know Jesus is a Prince of Peace and he has come to bring unity. All right, let's go to Matthew chapter 10 right now and let's read verse 34. Matthew chapter 10 and verse 34, the Bible says, Don't imagine that I came to bring peace to the earth. I came not to bring peace, but a sword. Okay, let's stop there before we go any further. That's kind of the opposite of what you would expect to find in one of the Gospels, isn't it? Yeah, right. Jesus is like, don't don't think that I'm the Prince of Peace. I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. All right, so if Jesus came to bring a sword, then why did he not allow his disciples to use the swords that they had? Yeah, wow. You know, you had a couple of the disciples that, you know, they were they were strapped. And this is the point, too, is that this kind of contradicts not only, like, a prophecy, which you could then make a case, uh, a case that, oh, Jesus didn't fulfill the prophecies of the past, but within the immediate context of Matthew, the previous chapters, he's, like, healing people, loving yes. people, yes. you know, uh, like, healing the sick, da-da-da, the chapters Preaching following Preaching his it. whole, you've got, you've got chapter 5, 6, 7, which is his whole manifesto. Yeah. Which is, love your enemies, do good to those that yeah. persecute you. Pray for those that despitefully use you. But even chapter 9, it's like he heals in response to faith. He heals the blind. Following chapter 10, like chapter uh, 12, because like, he continues talking through 11. And then chapter 12, it's like he heals on the Sabbath. He's like the great prince of peace, the amazing healer, you know, the contradictor of rules and traditions for the sake of love. Because people are more important than rules and traditions. Yeah. And But then we come to this verse right in the middle of that, and he's uh-huh. like, I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. And it's like, whoa, Jesus, are you all right? Like, what are you talking about? This is heavy. I think Simon the Zealot would have liked this one. Mm. He'd be like, yeah, I got a sword. Let's, let's, let's go. Let's yeah. go. Oh, dude. I'm good at this kind of stuff. Okay, so this is an interesting passage. Jesus says, I didn't come to bring peace, but I came to bring a sword. How does that actually work? Let's uh, read verse 35. I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Your enemies will be right in your own household. Okay, let's stop there before we go any further. Wasn't it Jesus who said, honor your father and your mother? Yeah, he was the one that even clarified that, you know, in, in the gospel accounts when they were trying to cheat, you know, people in Israel were trying to cheat their mother and father and their family out of, you know, Yes. Giving back to them. He's the one who calls he it out. He stood up and called it out. And it's like you've made a loophole in the law right here so mm. that you don't have to look after your parents in their old age. Mm. But now he's like, no, no I'm going to do the opposite. Cause division. Gonna, I'm going to divide the family. Mm. Break the family up. This is pretty heavy stuff. Somebody's texted through here um, with this comment. Jesus is the truth. Mm. If you don't believe in his love, you will have conflict and have turned from him. And the truth is not in you, and self-destruction follows. So this is interesting. We're going to delve into this a little bit more depth. I think that's actually a really, really good comment that mm. has uh, that has just come through. Okay, so the Bible says, you know, I've, I've come to bring a sword, not peace, mm. and I've come to divide families. 
So we've got to actually stop and think about what this means. And I actually want to, I actually want to jump off of this uh, comment that's come through on the text message here because Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Okay. Mm-hmm. So Jesus brings truth. Mm-hmm. And uh, our responsibility then is what we do with that truth. Mm. So let's, let's think about a couple of examples. Let's start with Pharaoh as a classic example in Egypt, the one that was reigning at the time of Moses. Mm-hmm. Okay, so this particular Pharaoh, uh, he comes into conflict with God. He has the opportunity for peace, doesn't he? Yeah. And as somebody who has the opportunity for peace uh, he and, and honoring God, he decides not to. And what is the result of that? He gets destroyed. He, yeah, series of plagues. And each time he has the opportunity for peace and he just refuses, 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 refuses until he's destroyed. And it's interesting to note that his forefathers like took the peace route. Like yes. not only the one that accepted jo- uh, Joseph, but the one but the Pharaoh who accepted Abraham when he took his wife as his sister and God showed up and was like, I'm going to kill you if you touch her, even though it was Abraham's fault. But then the Pharaoh is like, okay, I won't do anything like, you know. Yeah, he's as you would if God turned up. Yeah, <laughs> but this is the thing. Even to yeah. Pharaoh, God showed up. That's right. And but absolutely, he chose against it and was destroyed. So let's think about another great emperor of the past to whom God showed up to mm. in a dream at night. Ooh, where are we going? Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar. Of course. Yeah. yeah of course. So there, you know, uh, Pharaoh in the time of Abraham is not the first world emperor that God has spoken to. So let's think about Nebuchadnezzar. God shows up in the middle of the night with a message of truth for Nebuchadnezzar. How how well does Nebuchadnezzar go at accepting that truth? Um, Man, he has some struggles, eh? He does. He goes backwards and forwards. He does. He's like, oh, I just love Daniel chapter 2 where he gets to the end and he's like, all right, God is real. If anyone speaks against him, I'll cut you up. <laughs> and I'll turn your house into a pile of dung. <laughs> Yeah. You know, there's probably a less polite way of saying that in, in today's language, but, you know, mm. um, that was kind of Nebuchadnezzar's standard go-to for anybody he yeah. didn't like. Yeah. But then in the next chapter, he goes it against himself. Yeah. Probably 12 years later. <laughs> he's like, yeah, no, it's this, is, this is not good for me. Um, everybody who raises insurrection against me is claiming Daniel too. Yeah. <laughs> it's like we need to put a rest, put an end to this. Mm. And then at the end of that, it's like once again he goes back there. Like okay, anyone speaks against Yahweh, uh, they they're going to be cut in pieces, and their houses turned into a pile of dung. And then chapter four again, he God comes does back it again. Himself. And God comes back again. So this is you know, you look at some of these emperors and you think they're a bit stubborn, eh? Yeah. I mean, God comes back in chapter four, and this is the second time that God has spoken to Pharaoh, and you would think that he would recognize what was going on, mm. but he doesn't. Um, well, he doesn't He doesn't choose to. Well, he does for a time. He kind of gets his life together for a year, but I suspect that he did it without the power of God and he was trying to white-knuckle it rather than experience grace in his life. Mm. And in the end, he just gives up. It's like, nah, forget God. This is This is Babylon. I've built it. I'm the greatest, you know. I've I've put my name everywhere. Every twelfth brick in this in this whole city has my name stamped into it. You know mm. all of this kind of stuff. And at the same time, and that time he goes completely insane mm. until he surrenders to God. Mm. And so you've got two examples here of where God brings some pretty full on, you know, uh, experiences 
to some fairly powerful people, but you have two different reactions in the end, don't you? Mm-hmm. Where does Pharaoh end up? Like dead, at the bottom of the Dead Sea. Bottom of the Red, Red sea. sea. Red, Red sea. sea. He ends up at the bottom of the Red Sea. Where does Nebuchadnezzar end up? Like saved. Absolutely, back on his throne. Yeah. And I think this is a great example because God was doing exactly the same thing. He was pouring out judgments on both of them. Mm. And you could argue that the ones that got poured out on Nebuchadnezzar were worse because it lasted for seven years. That's a long time. Mm. And yet one resulted in uh, when Pharaoh's case got harder in Nebuchadnezzar's, he surrendered. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. Go back to our Bible passage that we're looking at. Let's go to Matthew chapter 10 right now. Mm -hmm. Let's read verse 37. Okay, Matthew chapter 10 and verse 37. As I get it in front of me here, the Bible says, If you love your father or mother more than you love me, you are not worthy of being mine. Or if you love your son or daughter more than you love me, you are not worthy of being mine. Okay, so that's pretty full on right there. This is the highest level of commitment that there is. And this is commitment to... Commitment to God, you know, when, yeah. we, uh, when we think about total surrender to God, this truly is total surrender. And, of course, we're not talking about it, it, this in the sense of Jesus is standing there as like an egotistical, narcissist, Not at all. Sociopath. He's just simply, simply stating the reality the that reality. God is God. And, and it's like, I think like this stems back to the very beginning of sin, which yes. is that you've got husband and wife, Adam and Eve... That loved made each other for each other, more than loved, loved each God. other more than God, and look at the what it's created. And Jesus is saying we need to reverse this. Mm. So, and and really, this does bring it into context mm. because you got you know got that other passage in Luke, uh, where is it, chapter fourteen, where it says, unless you hate your mother and father, then you um, you know you can't be my disciple. And mm. everyone's like, what do you mean? We're supposed to honor our parents. Why are you saying to hate mm. our parents? Not that he's saying hate our parents. It's mean this. This gives it the context because it's unless God comes first, mm. and so Jesus is trying to really bring home this concept that putting God first, and so God has Jesus has looked for okay in society, in our culture, in our experience. Probably is the best way of putting it. in our experience. What is it that we are going to value above everything else? Mm. And it's always going to be our family. It's always going to be our children, our parents, our family, our brothers and sisters and so forth. That's the thing that we are going to value more than anything else. We will value that more than our possessions because Jesus could have said, could have stood here and said, you know, unless you value me more than your possessions, you cannot, you're not worthy of me. Mm. And we'd all say, yep, fair enough, except for our family. Mm. But Jesus went right to the top. Mm of those things that we value so that he could communicate his message about how important it is to value and be surrendered to God. And of course, God like comes first. 100%. And and what we see here is not a reality when, you know, when Jesus says, "Oh, you can either love God or money." What's going on here is that if you love God first, it will enable you to be a better carer and lover of your family. Like 100%. And so th- this is the, the point that he's making. It's like become, you know, uh, every psychiatrist in the world, every psychologist in the world will tell you that codependent relationships are terrible things that will ruin your life. But God is like, that's right. I know that. 
But I know that you need someone to rely on. Rely on me. The person who you become dependent on me. The only one who you can depend on so that you can be truly loving to your family, to the people that you care about, to your job, to, you know, and it goes down and down the list, like, you know, to the the things that you have to do, like to be able to, to enable you to do that the best that you can, put me first. Yes. It's really awesome. It is. It's truly amazing. Mm. Okay. So uh, getting back to our uh, passage right here, it is, you know, a man's foes will be those of his own household. This is an interesting thought, Lawson, and I'm wondering, you know, you've been a Bible worker, I've been a Bible worker. How often have you seen this scenario where somebody chooses to give their life to Jesus Christ and suddenly their family turn on them? Oh, dude, like, it's not even family turn on them, but it's even just, it starts with just the indifference that's created amongst and and, and apathy, because that's something that I've personally experienced. Like, I'm a Christian, most of my family is not, and definitely in the beginning, you know, it's, it's, it's changed and, you know, people have accepted and grown up and, you know, I live with my, my dad now, like it's all good, but definitely in the beginning, particularly because I was kind of leaving behind hopes and dreams and, you know, things that I had wanted in the secular life, like even my own family were very like, man, what are you doing? Like, but at the same time, you were also leaving behind depression. Yeah. Um, substance abuse. Uh Uh-huh. You know, and this is one of the things that I see is that it's just it's just interesting how many times I've seen people who leave a lot of negative stuff behind and their family. You know, your family's great, yeah. But I've seen other families that have absolutely turned on their children, hundred yeah, percent, or their parents or and, and, brothers or sisters. And, and you know, yeah, it pans out. You know, you see what happens. It's different for each case, but the point is, is that yeah, these tensions can come up. But what's worth it? You're listening to the Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Interestingly, we were just discussing this. Our question of the day came in from one of the Bible verses. We're going to have to be careful not to give the answer away, but... Question of the day. Okay, so, from this this verse, from, yes, this verse. from, from, from the quiz... So we're not saying where it comes from. We're not from. saying where it comes from or what it is. Um, fathers provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. What is that even, what is that talking this about? This is a really important verse about parenting mm. and about good parenting. Because there are passages in the Bible that talk about discipline, chastisement. There are passages in the Bible where the Bible talks about how God disciplines us or chastises us, um, which is always, which is a good thing. And from that... We have had people in the past and in the present who have read these passages and have used them as an excuse for abuse. And so this is Paul just giving some balance to those verses where he's saying, if your discipline is causing your child to hate you, then you're probably doing it wrong. Okay, so uh, there's a couple of examples. The Bible said, he that spares his rod hates his son, but he that loves him chastens him at times. In other words, disciplines him. And, uh, you know, these are very politically incorrect verses, but the Bible says in Proverbs 22, verse 15, foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction shall drive it far from him. The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings his mother to shame. And uh, so the Bible is very strong about discipline, boundaries, and even corporal punishment. 
But the Bible is also very strong about not driving your son to anger. Now, here's just from the position of a parent. Let me share with you how you will make your children angry. You will make your children angry if you discipline in anger. Because all you are doing when you discipline in anger is being a larger child. And so any discipline, any discipline where you are not in control is discipline that will do nothing constructive to your child but teach them how to lose control and teach them how to hate you and to be angry against you. Whenever your child does something wrong and your child requires discipline for what they have done that is wrong, you first need to gain control of yourself. And when you are in control of yourself, then you are in a position to discipline your child. So I'm going to admit some things here on air that could probably get me jailed, but hey, whatever. When my children were young, we used to spank their bottoms if they needed it Mm. from time to time. But we always maintained the principle of don't ever just lash out. Don't ever just, and what happens is often because we don't want to discipline our children or we get slack about disciplining our children, our children play up, play up, play up, play up, play up, play up because what they're looking for is boundaries because they're feeling insecure and we're not giving them boundaries and we nag them, nag them, nag them, nag them, nag them, which is not giving boundaries. It's just using words. It's just, it's not using, it's not creating boundaries at all until we lose it and then we lash out and we hit them and that's abuse and that makes them angry and it shows them how to lose control. Because monkey see, monkey do. Children learn from their parents. It's how it works. And so when we disciplined our children, we would first make sure that we were under control. Then we would take out our children, we would take them aside and have prayer with them and tell them what they'd done wrong and spank their bottom and hold them close while they cried and tell them how much we loved them. And they never got angry and they always loved us in return for that. Mm. That is what was modeled to me by my parents. And so that's what I then modeled to my children. And it works really, really well. This is Sarah Groves with... Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.